I love that. And I just I just met you on Twitter. You had a great post about uh, your recovery. And I'm sorry, I'm Jason. This is Patrick. You just entered a conversation you had no intention of entering, but welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but you had a post about finding solitude with your cup of coffee, and I really love that. And we always try and promote mental health, mental well-being, kind of protecting your your zone, you know, mm -hmm. your center, like stand in your center and protect that from everything that tries to scope creep. So I, I like I told you, I'm just going to start quite simply. Patrick found himself in a hole and I'm kind of, I kind of wanted to start with how did you realize that? How did you get, how did you get there in the way you want to describe it? And I, I missed the whole beginning. I'm sorry. Let me start <laughs> this again. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> It's time now for something positive. We might be headed to the promised land the of promised speaking land, the truth land, and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. Problem can only be solved when there is a kind of coalition of conscience. Of conscience. Because conscience. that is how it works. This is the beginning, it is not the finale, and that's why we're here, and that's why we rally, 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 rally. We've got to be that creative minority. Creative minority. Creative minority. Find a way to get in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Frankly, I know we've got to do something. Patrick, where are you from? Uh, I was born out in Ohio, but I've pretty much grown most of my life in New England. Uh, mostly Mass and Rhode Island, and I've been uh, Maine for the last five years. Wow. wow. Speak up a little more when you're talking, because you started cutting out sure. during that. Uh, yep. Okay. I'm a mostly New England boy, like I said, so I've been in Maine for about the last five years. I love that. I mean, I always watch like these restaurant impossible shows and they're always going to Maine and stuff like that. <laughs> well, this is one of the best, you know, restaurant scenes in the country. I get to work with a lot of great people in Portland. It's pretty amazing. Nice. What do you, what do you actually do there? Well, I used to be a chef myself, which is a great way to become, well, I wouldn't say become a drug addict, but uh, to find out if you are, it's a really good uh, litmus test. Yeah. So uh, these days I do consulting for restaurants and hotels. I sell equipment and, uh, like, you know, fun plates, things like that. So I get to work with chefs and restaurateurs. It's really cool. All right. So the drinking scene is something that's just always around. With, with chefs, I, I know that's one thing. When, on their downtime, they like to cook and they like to drink. Those, I did a lot of those things, but, you know, I, I have, still have meetings with, you know, people that own businesses and breweries and bars. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, something to be careful of even still to this day for me. So. Wow. Well, I'd like to, I'd like, why did you move from Ohio? Was it a family thing or did you just set yourself um, free? <laughs> I apologize to my Ohio family, but yes, um, my mother and my father uh, called things off pretty early. So I think I was about three when I got all back to New England. And uh, okay. while my Ohio family are lovely people, I'm very grateful for that because yeah. I am just 120% a New Englander, you know? Totally. To be landlocked, people don't understand. It's it's a devastating. It makes me thing. nervous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm it's I'm about too eight, much corn. I'm about eight my yeah, it's way too much corn in fields that I don't know what that stuff is. I'm about eight yeah. miles away from the Gulf and I can smell the sea air and it's something that's totally different to me. Yeah, that's probably about as far away as I am, man. Like what a gift, you know. 
Yeah, I like that. So, you, uh, your family was kind of separate. So was mine. Your family was separated. You, who did you move with? Uh, my mother and I moved back to Massachusetts, and then I think at some point in the next year or so, uh, she met my stepfather, who's just really a remarkable man. And um, you know, he just kind of stepped in, and we kind of became a family, and just kind of did our thing. So, isn't that cool? Yeah, it worked out good. You know, my parents stayed civil to each other. You know, they both moved on and had new lives and kids and families. And, you know, uh, it's it's about as good as like a sad thing can turn out, you know. All right. So we can't blame anything on your upbringing then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Is sure it... we can find somewhere someone to blame it on. I'm an alcoholic. Nothing's my fault. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Nothing is your fault. So how did you just stumble? No. <laughs> you, you just slipped and landed on a bottle. Is that how it happened? Yeah, one day I looked down and there was 40 duct tape to my hand and, uh, you know, <laughs> making terrible choices. But <laughs> Right, but you, you were saying you hit it awfully well. I mean, were, were you a drinker as a teenager? Was it more of a social thing or did you go beyond that even as a teen? You know, I've had to kind of like reflect on this with sharing my story in meetings. And I yeah. kind of, if I had to pinpoint the start, you know, being put on Adderall in high school was probably not a great thing because, you know, I don't know if you're familiar, that's essentially four different amphetamines mixed together. And, you know, that was definitely like the first time I remember experiencing like an altered state to like such an extreme degree. And okay. instead of there being like reality, there was normal and then something else all of a sudden, like that door wasn't open before. Right. So. Something <laughs> that took the edge off, right? Something that changed it and made it a little different. I think yeah. as, a, as a kid, we as teenagers especially, we have so many chemicals in our bodies. Nothing feels normal except an altered yeah. state, you know? And I like the intensity of it too, frankly, because like you said, you're a weird, awkward teenager, and I was kind of a heavy metal kid, and so it's just like wild rush. And I mean, I could do my schoolwork like effortlessly. And right. I could read a book in like two days. I mean, it was, it was fun, except for the grinding your teeth and not sleeping and stuff like that, you know? Wow. Okay. So you took it as a, like a challenge. That's what I took cocaine as. It was like, how well can I do, how well can I perform at whatever I have to do while being as, as high as possible to make that a challenge, you know? Oh, you should have been a chef. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, you know, <laughs> work through the pain, you know, work through the pain, work through the booze, work through the drugs, you know, yeah. uh, it didn't matter if you were hungover and you got two hours of sleep. Like I still showed up to work every single fucking day. Like I might not be able to see straight, but I was there. <laughs> because it's the challenge you got across the finish line right mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. i don't know there's something about like new englanders have this kind of like bullshit hard-working like obnoxious work ethic thing that like mm -hmm. it's like cool to just kill yourself and i mean it's not but you know we're all like swimming in that growing up and you know the restaurant is, industry is just like a really toxic work yourself to death culture and i mean i did man that's a great drug like you can escape into work sex gambling you know yeah distraction Just being is a, needed man distraction is a major thing but i like what you said that we are we are kind of taught to work and work through it you know and, and that's just, your value too man like you know so it's wrapped up in that like your self-worth is there as well right we i think we got to get away from that that money equals value you know what i mean yeah but that's not that wasn't really part of your issue it wasn't part of, i keep saying that like you know i'm not <laughs> I, I was never an alcoholic by the way but like i said out of the 90 out of the 100 drugs one of them's going to destroy your life and i think we have that in common <laughs> yep so you you, you yeah. found you found yourself in a hole 
And how did, did you realize, what was the point to where you realized there was no rock bottom that you could keep digging, but you just didn't want to anymore? You know, I was, I think things were always like on the outer end of that bell-shaped curve as far as like, I was on the very far edges of social drinking in high school and, you know, college, like it just became like the, like self-destruction was like point you know it was like how far can we push it how crazy can it be like how much can i do how much can i take how long can i stay awake you know and it was like the progressive nature of it in retrospect is just it's really frightening you know like oh i used to have a couple beers and all of a sudden you're drinking a bottle to yourself and Mm -hmm. you know then going out to the bar and like i was a big guy but jesus christ that's scary stuff you know Yeah, and in your 20s, life gets a little boring. There isn't as much action as when you're a teen, and then you want to, you still want that. You still want to feel that, and so maybe you were just chasing that a little bit. Well, I found a good outlet for that. Uh, I joined a Irish punk band in the Boston area. Cool. So it was cool, but, you know, it definitely ramped the drinking up and kind of, like, created a, like, I don't know, almost like an alter ego where like all of my shitty behavior kind of came into this like character and like I could kind of go out and like play that character and it was kind of helpful in some ways, but then right. like also incredibly toxic too. Right. And you realize 99% of the people you meet is are meeting your alter ego, not you. Yeah. And they like the drunken asshole that's like kind of entertaining and reckless, but like they don't have to be that person or like feel the consequences. And like me the next day, like I do hurt people and I do have to live with that. And I can't, like, I I don't possess that skill, you know? Wow. That's a great point. You do hurt people and you don't want to, but you just do. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, you're not doing no, it okay. anymore. You're not doing it anymore, right? Like you've you've reached a road of recovery, so we don't want to dwell on the past. I'm I'm more yeah. about solutions, and I'm more about sure. the re- the revelation. So, I want I want to know for other people that are listening, if they have an addiction, what what are those moments of light? I was laying yeah. in bed and I cried, and I and I honestly said, God, either kill me or give me a life not of this, you know. And yeah. that yeah. and then I went. I, I jumped out of an airplane twice and I, I spent my Coke money on parachuting. And then I was like, awesome. You know, yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, it happened in an instant. It didn't take me 40 yeah. tries to do it, you know? So I'm just kind of wondering sure. what was that? What was that light that you saw that you were like a life beyond this is better than a life of this. Absolutely. So um, my uh, wife and I had been together for about married about five years and she came down with uh, some mysterious illnesses and it became a very big ordeal. And, you know, I don't want to tell her story, but um, she essentially became bedridden. Um, I left the restaurant industry, tried to kind of uh, cut down my hours and accommodate just more of like a caregiver role. Mm -hmm. Um, And the good thing there was I got into a more lucrative position in a better field and made more money. But the problem was we were trapped at home, lots of money. Um, You know, my lifetime of addiction with COVID and everything finally caught up with me and the stress of being a caregiver. And I just, I'm grateful I finally imploded because it brought me to this incredible place where I am right now. You know, it was a year ago, last April, that I was sleeping three hours a night and waking up in the morning like sick, you know, physically and mentally. And, you know, like I could just feel that like I was near death, like I couldn't function anymore. It was just, you know, like you said, I was, I don't know, man, it was just, it was very close. And I realized like, man, something needs to change. And I started making a series of changes. It took maybe eight months where I kind of just started moving towards the light instead of, you know, 
dark and something finally my mother said broke through to me and like that aha moment where she said you're the giving tree and i you know i loved that book as a kid and i thought well yeah it's cool you know he helps this guy out that's great but if you read that book to the end there's no fucking tree left <laughs> right so they used he, it to like, build a gives, house right yeah he gave until there was nothing left of himself and like that's kind of a it's a powerful story i kind of missed the point as a kid because you know i was a kid yeah. but uh and for that whatever book, reason, that book will have hundreds of different points the more you go through life. <laughs> oh, yeah. But man, like that just broke. It was simple enough that my foggy, lying, just bullshit, like junky brain, it, it got through mm -hmm. to me. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to die. And like no one else, you know, my partner can't save me. My parents can't save me. My friends, not to mention I wasn't asking anybody for help. So like, you, you know, as we said earlier before we started recording, yeah. you, know, you can hide your addiction and hide your spiraling and then still be mad that no one helped you which is just <laughs> lunatic thinking you know it's absolutely it's insanity you know it really of course is. but it that a death spiral spirals you know what yeah. i mean it's a circle yeah. for a reason and mm -hmm. it's it's endless until you break the loop god i love mm -hmm. your mom for that yeah it, it was i mean she's a wonderful person but i'm grateful to that because you know i was moving towards the that direction and you know, I was kind of like a weekend user and an everyday drunk. And so I was, you know, withdrawing every Monday and it was just a bad thing. And I kind of started getting a little bit healthier and um, I actually started taking psychedelics a little bit and plant medicine kind of factored into my story a bit and just kind of was able to get to a place where I felt that I actually deserved to get better, like to recover from this disease that like I was a person that deserved happiness and health and love and all these things because I'd internalized so much negativity that I just, I felt I deserved to suffer. You know, I deserved this awful life yeah. that I was living. People feel they deserve to suffer. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's such a shame. You do something wrong and you think you need to atone for it and you beat yourself up and you beat yourself up, but nobody tells you that your, your, your sentence is paid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, something that my friends and I have been trying to do for each other is to not call each other out, but Hey, you know, I wouldn't let someone else speak to you the way you're speaking to yourself right now because it's so easy to get down on yourself and start oh man i suck it's, you know that voice in your head is just poison you know right and it's also it's a way to blame your partner and your friends for not dealing with your problem you know oh yeah yeah and that that's a real issue and i i, I tell people i'm self-partnered now and all the things that i would have done for a a, a spouse or a, a girlfriend I do for myself now and so i mm -hmm. make myself a nice dinner and then i give myself a massage and then i watch a movie with myself and eat junk food and it feels good to take that time for myself but it took a yeah. long time to realize that i deserved that that i just didn't have to like kill my run myself to death yeah. to prove to people that i was worth something especially because that ties into that whole thing about work and self-worth and value and i think there's you know i know your last thing is about masculinity but jesus i mean that's a whole can of worms there too you know right yeah i mean we're both in, marco and i are both antagonists and so, <laughs> i don't know I, I he has a hard time understanding the the rainbow i think and that's fine mm. with me i do too and that's why i do the show
Well, I'm going to make a point. I, I love a good argument, but I want to try to let this be about the message. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I'm going to try to keep my uh, crazy bullshit to a minimum for you. Okay. We'll bring you back and you can have all the opinions you want. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We can have a, uh, if you want to let me off the chain one day, that sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, that's what we are. A bunch of perspectives <laughs> that are off. I call us, what did I, our tomorrow's episode is called Tangents of Imagination. Because <laughs> that's what we are. Let's. Oh, I let's, like that though. Let's that sounds like a concept solution. album, you know? It does, doesn't it? And I yeah, love your I like Grateful that. Dead background so much. I had that poster in in the eighties. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so, what? Yeah, what was the first? What was the? Okay, how do I explain this? Nothing is nothing is cold turkey. Nothing happens mm -hmm. in one step. Everything takes planning and and execution to get to a yeah. point to where you can begin to recover right yeah. first first you create the mindset that you need it and deserve it and so what was the first thing that got you to that did you say it was psychedelics kind of well not yeah you know uh, microdosing oh, is, is a very valid way of overcoming yeah addiction. I, I just I, i'm always like careful about this part of my story because i don't want to come out here and say like drugs got me sober because that's just very very much not case um, right but you know that was a tool that in combination with you know some intentional work and some you know essentially like self-therapy okay you know because yeah. uh those sometimes those substances allow you the space and the compassion to view yourself in a more objective light and see that wow you know you were the victim in this case or that you were just a kid or you know right. those those allowances we give so easily to other people in our lives when mm -hmm. they transgress but for some reason we just nail ourselves down for you know yeah okay so you so, didn't you didn't do formal therapy like you didn't go to a therapist for that no i've done a good bit of that in my past and i probably could have used it but you know i was isolating through yeah. my drinking and addiction and so yeah. the thought of spending my hard-earned drug money on a therapist was appalling not to um, mention but, that to be honest to anybody in that phase mm -hmm. i don't think is possible you know you're going to manipulate no. the situation to get the answer you want as an addict right that was very well put yeah and i think the like uh psychedelics brought me to a place of like embracing honesty and it after okay you know you deserve love you deserve to get better it's like well what are we going to do about this now that we've acknowledged there's a problem and yeah you know originally i came to my sobriety because i wanted to try to help my partner um with uh some you know things that she was battling and i felt that my position would be uh undermined by drinking a half a handle of vodka every other night or every okay. night I say, you know. that is so uh, i kind of came fair. into this you know we were like in financial ruin and i was just trying to help my partner because you know of course there was nothing wrong with me i was the, you know everything was fine right and plus you're and, a man you're a man and white knight syndrome is real I, and i'm so you know i just want to like call myself out man i'm so guilty of that i'm always jumping in to save someone and mm -hmm. it's just like i have a terminal case man i just can't help it i'm like just let me let me get in your business and that's an escape man. that's an addiction too like <laughs> let me not correct. deal with my shit. let me help you with yours correct i, I suffered from 45 years from that <laughs> uh see we're gonna get along just fine yeah <laughs> um but, you know, I was like unaware. I, I really, I started as I came to a more place of honesty, feeling not okay with my uh, opiate use. You know, it was just something that I didn't, I wasn't enjoying anymore. Um, mm -hmm. The strain it was putting on my life, my marriage, my job, the physical toll of going through withdrawals. I don't know if you've ever done it. It's fucking horrible. I don't recommend that for anybody. Withdrawal and, uh, is brutal. 
It's and yeah. people ought to know everything in life has a withdraw time, right? Mm -hmm. Like even joy, like at the ending of a relationship, you need to allow time for withdraw. And I don't think people do like buck up and recover. No, there's time I, I don't. need. Yeah. You know? <laughs> No, I'm always diving off into the next thing. And, you know, yeah, that yeah. was, it's a balance in, for recovery for me because I need to stay busy enough that, you know, I'm not sitting around with crazy thoughts and putting uh -huh. myself at risk. But, you know, I need to not escape into work or sex or, you uh -huh. know, saving people or, you know, whatever it is. Filling uh, like the void, this, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. there's a desperation to that because I stopped drugs, alcohol, I stopped eating shitty food, I changed my entire life, like, not oh. overnight, but like pretty fucking close. You so got to make those changes. No, you can swear all you yeah. want. Yeah, you got you got to make um, those changes. I'm just in the in the quality yeah. of food phase myself, you know, it, yeah. it, it's a journey. And it, it's yeah. all to tell yourself that you're worth something, you know, yeah, like, I was depressed until I got rid of fructose out of my diet and then mm. i realized holy shit i feel good like i feel you good look enough. well you know I, yeah i feel good enough to be worth something you know because <laughs> pain That's is another beautiful. pain is another one of those things that it terraforms the soul and so do so is drugs drugs yeah is 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 a form of pain and it's it's just the yeah. truth and it doesn't it doesn't portray itself as that it portrays itself as the savior <laughs> you know no but, but I, i'm so glad you brought that up man because that's such a real thing and like yeah. you know the pain watching my partner endure chronic illness and watch it just mm -hmm. take her life from her in you know almost literally right was just you know i would have i you know you say like i would switch places with you but my god like i would have like i would have paid to because yeah. i'm okay with my own suffering but you know watching someone i love in pain and i'm unable to do something about it is just i there's really not a lot worse you know there's nothing worse than that i think especially somebody, for a codependent people pleaser like me you know <laughs> i was just watching a tv show and the guy was trying to put on a play and he said people have to hear see people have to hear the whisper of the devil they have to feel the ki the kiss of an angel and they have to know all of that through the law a uh, man losing the love of his life and i was like god damn that's my life like i could be wow. a great play <laughs> yeah oh, <laughs> see, it, i just went jesus i could be a country song i'm sitting here blowing oxes in my trailer jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> But it and is, I play the banjo too, so it was really on brand, you know. Oh, I like that. I, I know yeah, a ukulele player. We could just start a band. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Well, you're in a band. You do what you want. You have fun. No, with no. That. I've I've been out for a while. I would love to get back into a band. Though, so, okay. anybody out there needs a mediocre guitarist or a mediocre <laughs> banjo player? Come on back. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard lately, but music is mediocre. You'll fit right in. It's quite. I mean, I hate to be like a uh, music sucks now, but. I just I want to say I don't hear as much that like speaks to me from a place of authenticity. Is that mm -hmm. more diplomatic? Right. Cool. I like that. Yeah. That was like big kids saying, "Yeah, music sucks now." <laughs> it's well, yeah, it does. So uh, you, I just keep derailing you. No, no, no. There, I'm trying. I'm just going back. So there's times when i love that by the way i am i am tangents i am I, that's what i am there's times when there's the time when you decide to quit and then there's this mm -hmm. with, withdraw time where you're trying to just get through that i used to write no everywhere i went so when i went back there 
and I had that thought, I would see no. And I'd be like, oh, Jason was already here, fucker. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I, who I blamed for my addiction, I also tried to eliminate from my life. Did you have an issue with that? Did like the people you knew, did they support you or did, were they just like, no, man, you're, you're uh, like blamed. in recovery? Well, in that, or in, just- there's that gray area where people, what you yeah. do, what you do is a wave behind you. And when you stop, it keeps going and you have yeah. to get past that wake. And in that wake is a lot mm-hmm. of judgment and a lot of friends telling you you're wrong. And a lot of people telling you, you didn't do it soon enough. And a lot of people telling you, you're not doing it right. And that turmoil, I, I want people to expect that because it's, it's something that happens whenever you do something and then stop yeah. doing it, you know? I mean, I think that's important. You know, you'll hear a lot of people in recovery and it's like, man, my life is amazing now and all this cool stuff. And you know, I mean, my life is amazing now. And like, I do want to talk about that, but you know, your life is going to change and, you know, friends and family, they're going to support you. Uh, but you know, you might also get comments about how, you know, you weren't very fun or why were you hiding in your room on that vacation or, you know, just people are going to support you in theory but they're only really going to support you up until it starts inconveniencing them or their preconceptions or expectations about and then they're really going to resent you because that fun reckless i don't give a fuck person isn't there and you're this kind of somber person and Mm -hmm. i think sometimes your sobriety holds up a mirror to others and makes someone can make people uncomfortable with their own relationships and like, that's not, I'm not, I tell people, man, I'm not on commission, you know, like <laughs> if you yeah. all, if I, I was happy to help anybody that, you know, reaches out a hand, but like, I'm not trying to make conversions. I'm not a Jehovah's witness, man. Right. You're, Sorry, doing, I'm not your trying to, <laughs> You're doing your thing, right? It's important to realize yeah. like people want to, they want to, they feel left behind. I've met a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people oh, yeah. I partied with felt left behind and the guilt. Yeah. The guilt of that, when you see them later in life and you're doing good and they're still stuck, that's on both sides. Like they Mm -hmm. see you and you're right. You put a mirror up to them and show them Mm -hmm. what they could be. And then they show you what you could be. And and so, I don't know, those those friends, they fall to the wayside, but they always come back around. And so I hope they come back around better. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've definitely been gravitating to, you know, a couple of people in my life that have been supportive of my sobriety, like really right out of the gate in just like a really genuine way. And that's been made it a lot easier for me. And, you know, I'm kind of blessed that I was able to stop opiates on my own and I was able to stop drinking on my own. But like, I can't fix my behavior. So it was kind of like whack-a-mole, like, cool. I took those two cards off the table. There's still 50 cards of shitty choices in that deck, you know? Right. I, I, you know, I was unfaithful. I had an emotional affair with someone uh, digitally. And, you know, I just, I I started engaging in like other just bad decisions. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was kind of like, I don't know. It's it's i think it's important to just like note that it's about behavior and not substance because right. like aa specifically like is really like an alcohol lens and like i just kind of use that as a placeholder personally but i think it turns a lot of young people off because a lot of us are cross addicted and some of the old timers have sort of an attitude about that and okay. i just think man it's a big tent you know like we need to keep keep it open you know yeah let me ask you about that how did you find how did you find aa um well in my family, we called going to rehab camp. 
So uh, going to camp, you know, so it was not like an unfamiliar thing. Um, My mother's in recovery um, and some other family members. So I kind of knew, you know, and I I think maybe in the back of my head, I knew that this was something that like either could or was going to be a problem. But I was Mm -hmm. able to reach out and find some online uh, like kind of Zoom AA meetings to start. And, you know, that was really good for triage because I was in a really hard place of insomnia. I could get up at four o'clock in the morning and get on there and listen to other people. And, you know, you said something about being left behind and it's like, you know, a lot of addiction comes from disconnection. And so Mm -hmm. just to, to feel a sense of community, it was so foreign to me. Like I had pushed my friends away. Like there wasn't a wake behind me because I wasn't interacting with it. I just, I went to work, did the bare minimum of that. And I got drugs and alcohol and food delivered to my house, you know? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And that the pandemic, what role did that play? Oh, just put everything into overdrive. Um, you know, like I was, I, I've just oscillated wildly my mental health through that time. You know, my financial situation was devastated and my home life was just such a pressure cooker. You know, we were, we were essentially you know, locked down for a year before because mm-hmm. of, you know, circumstance I don't want to get into. And it, right, so it just, right. I, we were, we entered the pandemic as a family at, at a breaking point. And it okay. just, I, I guess in retrospect, I'm grateful for it because with being a high functioning addict, like I was and being an enabler, I mean, this could have gone on for years and years and man, like there's only three places that this ends that it's death, jail or institution, you know, right. Or recovery. And yeah, teach, and, and teaching that's, people, right? Yeah, man, and it, that's the thing. Like, there's three dark roads you can go down, or mm-hmm. you could live a life of service. And man, you know, you think I'm giving up something? Yeah, you uh, you are. I don't drink alcohol anymore, but my life is enriched in so many ways. You know, I'm sitting here speaking with you, and I'm speaking about my story from a place of confidence because I know when I listen to other people share their pain and their experience, and that they've come through this man that is a gift you know it's a gift we give each other and yeah i'm just i'm blessed to be able to have a positive impact on someone's life like that man you could go your whole life and never impact someone and i mean i i get to do it on a daily basis and people i mean people do it for me so that's the way the world is what was what was your what was your first meeting like i mean People, people that don't know, right? People that don't know, that's what they worry about is these transition mm-hmm. moments. And so that I'm yeah. trying to hit those. You, you're like, oh, I got to go to a meeting. God damn it. Yeah. I think it was nerve wracking to go to a Zoom one. And that was like, oh my God. So I would try to keep the camera on and mm-hmm. just sit there and know that people could see me. And that right. at first I was just, you know, Oh man, and that was really hard. And then I, I forced myself to speak, and then it mm. became more comfortable. And you know, once you realize that you sharing isn't about you burdening other people, that it actually helps everyone, mm-hmm. then it becomes like you're more willing to take up that space and to speak and tell your story and have people listen because like that's it requires self confidence to to share your story and to take up a room full of people's attention and to ask them to listen attentively. You know. Yeah, but you also validate their behaviors by saying somebody else could could it could happen to somebody else too. Mm-hmm. I think I'm thinking. Your your you said your mom was in recovery, and I mm-hmm. my 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 mom told me my dad was a cocaine addict, and for some oh. reason, I did cocaine, and I always thought to myself when I was done, he's a good man. I didn't know him. He left when I was three, and I always thought 
he's a good man. He got past it because I could. And if I got past it, so I'm wondering if you were just kind of assuming that life was like recovery and you had to become an alcoholic to get there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Stupid, I, stupid kid logic. No. We want to be our parents in a way. You know what I mean? I kind of think it was a like, this runs in the family and you know, it's in your family. So you just like, you almost don't want to like give it the the space to like come to life in your mind. So it's almost like you just try to like shut it yeah. out. And I don't know about you, but boy, I'm terrible at that. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I relive everything every night. Like somebody, oh, yeah, somebody, yeah. somebody said, I can't remember what the question was on Twitter. And I just put, I remember everything. <laughs> That's me, and that sucks. I, I just have that memory of every mistake I've ever made, and every positive, too, by the way. You know, I'm not a bad guy, but I'm good and bad. So As long as you're watching both tapes, man, you know? Right. Well, I try and, I tr I try and drop my baggage at the door. Before yeah. I walk into a new life, I try and leave the mm -hmm. negatives behind and remember the positives. Yeah. That's a tough thing to edit yourself, you know? It, it is, for sure, it, though. It all takes these little baby steps going mm -hmm. going to the Zoom meeting and sitting there. Yeah, that's yeah. But that's, man, walking through the door the first time, like that was really challenging. You know, I walked right. into my what's now my home group, and I think there was about six or seven people in there. And I think you could charitably say that the next youngest person was twenty years my senior. Wow. And uh, I just felt so uncomfortable. And, mm -hmm. you know, they were, uh, there were just some really wonderful people and they were friendly enough, but I just, I'm sure I looked as uncomfortable as I felt. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah. I said something like, I think this is a cult and you guys are fucking weirdos. And they just laughed and smiled and were just still wonderful people. And I kind of, I came in wondering if I was an alcoholic and it did not take a lot of research to say, my God, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've never like related to people, not that like, look, I would relate to people, but I, I remember saying as a teenager to my mother, like, I feel like I'm from another planet or I feel like I'm an alien or something. I just feel different than everybody else. Right. And I've always felt that way. I've always felt like an outsider and that has pros and cons, but man, I walk into these meetings and I am like one of these people and it's a very unnerving sensation. Uh, like I've never been like a belonger to anything. And yeah. so it's just really weird to be like, man, these are my people and they care about me and I care about them. And like, we have this, like, I don't want to say like a sacred mission, but this like beautiful, like kind of impossible thing we're trying to do. And I'm like, man, this is cool as shit. <laughs> yeah. Support the person next to you. Right. Yeah. And a couple months later, man, I just volunteered last week. I'm going to be chairing that same beginners meeting, um, Right. Uh, you know, and just to come from a place of, you know, dreading walking in the door to man, I can't wait to go see these people. And, you know, go hug this person and find out, you know, how that struggle went or how that family event that they were worried about went. And, you know, yeah. to meet these, you know, men and women that are so much older and have such different lives that, man, I would never speak with. And I find myself, you know, so unaware of our differences in these rooms because mm -hmm. we're just, we're the same. And it's wild to be, you know, united in purpose, I think. I love that. And it, it, what it tells me is that addiction isn't equal to weakness. You know, oh like god, yeah. Some of the some of the strongest people I know have suffered addic addiction, suicidal <laughs> thoughts, mental yeah. depression, anxieties. Some of the biggest guys I know. My my roommate's three hundred and sixty pounds, six foot three, and he told me today, "I'm scared of everything." 
And I was like, yeah. I, I would have never guessed that, you know? It's, I mean, really like fear reactions are, you know, it's the root of a lot of addiction. The, yeah. the fourth step is going through and listing your resentments. And, you know, I started to say, you know, I'm resentful of this person. And I'm like, shit, that was actually my behavior. And this is my fault. And so a lot of this is, a, is coming, is having the humility and that, you know, comes from the higher power and from surrendering your disaster of the life to your higher power. But then it, it lends you the humility temporarily, you know, just for the day to get through it and give you that perspective, you know? That's interesting because we never think about people are reacting to us, right? Mm -hmm. Like that they, we they're acting that way because we may, we taught them to act that way, right? Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. what turns a lot of people off about AA. And I understand that I am not a. I was raised very Catholic, and I just roundly reject a lot of that stuff. I'm not an organized religion person, but you know turning it over to your higher power is about saying my best efforts and my best intentions and thoughts brought me to sheer disaster. Like to, for most of us, the edge of ruin or well past the edge of it, you know, my best efforts ruined my life. So I, wow. the, of course, the first step is to have the humility to say, I cannot do this. Right. You know, but and, and believe it. And that takes time, you know, like, and that's why there are, you know, you work through these and work through them with people and study mm -hmm. the book and hear stories. And, you know, I don't know, like, I can't say which of these things I'm doing is saving my life, but right. the combination of them all is. So I'm not going to stop doing any of them. Wow. There was a great point in there, but I just love everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, your higher power mm -hmm. doesn't have to necessarily be God, right? It's a, it's a higher uh, power. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it means a higher power of your understanding or God as you understand him. Um, personally, for me, um, it's the divine feminine or like the mother is kind of like how I refer to my higher power. And okay. I was blessed to have uh, a bit of a spiritual life before I came to the program. And, you know, I was able to work my yoga practice and, mm. you know, Kirtan and meditation and some of these other things. So, I kind of came to Ooh. this fight like pre-armed a little bit and that was just that was a blessing you know really for me and it's given me a, a leg up you know i like that there is little things you can do meditation mm -hmm. meditation is a great thing i yeah i lost my life my wife and we had an altar she had an altar she taught she was teaching me about meditation and spirituality and crystals and I just, mm -hmm. she was she was just adorable i would have done anything she said but she <laughs> she, she passed and I found myself sitting in front of the altar. And what I realized was that I was diminished in my light because she was gone. But the Jesus statue and my wife's spirit were filling the void at the time. But I couldn't let them do that forever. At some point, they mm -hmm. had to be the light they were meant to be. And they, they shouldn't they shouldn't keep me going, right? Something else should keep me going besides that besides jesus besides god mm. besides my late wife i needed to do something for myself and recover yeah. so that i could do that and yeah feeling worthy of that is a tough thing you know yeah but that's a beautiful like uh, a living amends is something that comes up in the program um we're not 
through circumstance or death or location, not always able to make an amends to someone that we've wronged. And right. sometimes what you can do is try to, you know, live your life in a way that honors them or is, you know, I don't want to say an apology. I don't feel like that's productive, but you know, um, I, I think like in a way that honors, you know, <clears throat> sure. I mean, I'm sorry only means I'm sorry. The actions after that's what means yeah. something. So you can tell somebody I'm in recovery and I feel really bad about what I did, but then if you go back and, treat people like shit like you did before but not drunk you're still an asshole <laughs> well can i and you know man i want to in the uh, in the like spirit of honesty like i found myself a couple months sober and making like really bad choices and making poor interpersonal choices and mm. you know just like engaging in this reckless behavior and like yeah i yeah. kept my sobriety intact technically but like you know right. it, to me it's just I don't know, like, I saw that, like, I was just as capable, if not, I'm more capable of ruining my life now. And, you know, like I said, I, I cannot drink, like, I was able to not take drugs, but man, I cannot fix my thinking, my obsessive thinking that brings me to, you know, needing alcohol, needing drugs, needing a distraction, it's, you know? Distractions, a project, something else besides yourself to work on, right? <laughs> Yeah. so eager to work on anything else it's amazing you know yeah yeah and those people addicts are some of the most feeling and most genuine people you know what i mean like mm -hmm. they're, they're they have different souls they absorb things in a way other people don't and then they try and numb that sometimes yeah that you know that's a really great observation i agree you know i've heard a lot of stories start with I was a sensitive kid. I felt too much. I didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, I didn't have the awareness as a young person to articulate that. But yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. it was just too much. The sad shit was too sad. The happy stuff was too happy. And, you know, when you put <laughs> awkwardness on top of that and like, you know, yeah. relating to people in a weird way, it's just a good recipe for anybody to, you know, blow up. Yeah. Thinking about that, getting teased and laughing about it. Like you're getting criticized mm -hmm. and it's a joyous moment. You don't know what to do with that. Get drunk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked about fear before. Shame and fear are very closely related. And, yeah. you know, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And, you know, hate leads to the dark side, man. Yeah. I just think, I think once somebody feels shame or guilt, they feel like it's gone. We're done. I might as well mm -hmm. go the full, the full Monty. Because I just yeah. did a little bit. I, I'm already feeling guilty. I might I can't I can't get paid. I can't fix that. I might as well go the yep. other way and destroy myself, you know. And that fuck it, that that like say fuck it voice in your head, man. Like that's yeah. my real problem. You know, that's my root problem is ah fuck this. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. You know? Oh Might've... emotional stress or work stress or just whatever. Fuck it. Fuck it. That's my go to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mine is why not? And that's the that's oh, the question I like that gets that me shit, in yeah. trouble every time. <laughs> I'm I glad we this? never went drinking together. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Oh Jesus! And yeah. so, what kind of what kind of people are you meeting in AA? You know, um, jeez. Do you have a sponsor? Honestly, I do have a sponsor. Okay. Um, he's a really wonderful man. Um, not someone that. You know, at first glance, I would have thought that I would have had a lot in common with. And, you know, as we've taken the time to get to know each other, it's been just astonishing. Um, you know, he's a really just wonderful, kind man. He's been sober for a long time. He's been really active in a lot of people's recoveries. And I'm just so blessed to have someone that I feel comfortable with and see eye to eye. And, you know, I, I just have never had a relationship 
like this in my life before. Uh, it's just, it's really just, it's a gift, man. It really is. Is that a relationship with another man like that or just a honest, open relationship in general? Um, you know, kind of a, a, a bit of everything, you know, I've, I've had close male friends and, but you know, this is just, you know, maybe it's like I said, that kind of united by purpose, but mm -hmm. I find uh, a solace in speaking with other people that have dealt with addiction. There's yeah. just, I think it's kind of like a war buddies thing. You know, I just, there's a shared reference and I, I find it really comforting. Um, I yeah. can't, I'm sure there's, you know, a reason for it psychologically, but struggle unites, right? Like I don't relate to privileged mm -hmm. people because I, I was never privileged. I always struggled, yeah. you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, I get that. I, I really do. And then cultivating friendships that's gotta, that's gotta be awkward in a way. <laughs> Like, how do you then go out? How do you then go out and like meet people, right? Like, because mm. you used to, you, I used to be able to go and party, right? Like, I'd just go mm. to a bar and then I'd meet people and I'd end up somewhere and I don't know how I did it. But then you time like, travel and it's the next day and people are yeah. mad at you. Yeah. 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 But I just don't know. What do you do after that? Like, how do you live your existence? What fills your, what fills your days? You know, uh, I kind of like made a post joking about this the other day, but I said I was afraid I wasn't going to get to party anymore uh, after I got sober. And here I am today having a pancake party with a sober friend and their six-year-old kid. <laughs> so, you know, like last Saturday, I started my day by having pancakes with a friend and her son. And it was just, it was really nice, you know. It's beautiful. I did find that like teaching kids and uh, you, you know teaching kids those little things just makes me so happy and it it does distract in a really neat way because mm -hmm. you don't you don't want to you don't want to portray illness to a child right or no that kind of stuff and so you want to present your best self and you know you're mm -hmm. the adult and, and so having kids look up to you that seems cool. to be yeah. like this pedestal that certain people need like they're useful that way i feel like having kids and dogs like you is a good like <laughs> indicator of your character typically i don't know okay i like that <laughs> but dogs. maybe that's just me uh you know making up a meaning that suits my <laughs> too, you know? i don't know maybe um it, it is maybe. weird though to you know be in a meeting and all of a sudden it's over and you're like crap i'm in a room with like third you know 20 to 50 people Okay. Yeah, man, the door is about 40 feet over there. Oh, man, we're all, it's like over. Like, I, I really should talk to people because, man, if the meeting ends and I just get up and run out the door to my car, like, yeah, I was yeah. there. But right. like the, the, the gift is the fellowship and, you know, just the shared experience. Like, yeah, it sucked. It was hard getting sober. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But like, we're bonded by going through that struggle and by just by trying to help people, you know, like, yeah. you know, my, my kink is like giving a shit about other people. And I just love being in a room full of other people that actually give a shit. That is neat, it's, isn't it? I always say surround yourself with positivity and there's never going to mm -hmm. be a negative moment. Right. That's beautiful. I really like that. So how did, uh, did, uh, of course they affected you. You hear other people, everybody speaks, right? How does an AA mm -hmm. meeting typically work? Does, do, does so, whoever want to speak get to speak? Sure. There's kind of a couple, I mean, I think there are probably like endless formats, but a lot of them are what's called the speaker meeting where, uh, you know, I would say, Hey Jason, I'd love you to come in and, uh, you know, I'm going to start up the meeting and, you know, we'll give you 15 or 20 minutes to tell your story. 
And then uh, folks will go around the room, either raising their hands. Sometimes we'll do like a raffle ticket thing if there's a lot of people. And, you know, folks will just kind of come in and kind of like you've done here with me say, hey, man, I really liked, you know, this one thing in your story really spoke to me. Yeah. Um, and that's like one of the coolest things, you know, for me to sit there and tell my story about my degenerate life and have this like sweet, like seven year old woman get up and be like, I used to do drugs too, just like that. I'm like, oh man, awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, you make a great point. It was, a, it was your degenerate life, but it wasn't a degenerate you, right? No, no, no. And, uh, and you can, people can just wash that away at any time. Other people are going to judge you for a while, but as you prove yourself worthy, people are going to see your worth, I think. And, you know, man, after the like years of hardship and, you know, watching my wife suffer and me suffer and all these battles, you know, I, the, to have the bandwidth to be concerned about the opinions of other people is really not something that I, it's not, I don't have it. It's not a luxury yeah. I have. And even if I did have the bandwidth, I wouldn't give it to them. And, yeah. you know, I kind of, I like calling myself a drunk and a junkie because I am. And it keeps me humble because, you know, the, the most dangerous thing for me is, you know, to come on to this podcast and, you know, pontificate about sobriety. Like I'm an expert, you know, like, yeah. And I white knuckled right. it through five months and, you know, I'm just getting on my feet and trying to help other people. So like, I don't want to sit here and sit, like try to, claim that i have anything figured out or anything like that you know of course, i really of course. want to keep it humble you know? i did i wanted to make that point at the beginning of the show i you know yesterday i thought of ways to start the show what kind of questions mm -hmm. and i wanted to tell people what we are is we're a show of people about people like mm -hmm. i wouldn't have had you on if you were an expert you know you're yeah. not you're not some psychological psychologist like you know, therapist, that's not you. And I wouldn't have had you on if I thought you, you were just going to spout out a bunch of, bunch of answers. Like You want to talk to the zoo answers. animals, not the zookeepers. That's no fun. Right. I don't want canned <laughs> responses. I want somebody to relate with somebody that's actually been in the trenches, not somebody that watched other people. You know what I mean? Yeah, but man, th like, really, thank you for giving me the opportunity to come here and share today. And like, if this just touches one person, if somebody... It just like even hears for someone in their family that's going through this, that there's hope that it does get better, that, you know, I mean, people wouldn't recognize, people don't recognize the man that I am right now, you know, because yeah. I'm 60 pounds lighter and I'm not a lying piece of shit, you know? <laughs> but I don't, I don't even know the other guy. So yeah, I don't either, man. It's okay. He's yeah. gone, you know? <laughs> right. I think so, so. How would, let me, let's, how would, how would you suggest bringing this up if somebody is dealing with alcoholism in their family or of, mm -hmm. with a friend what's the best way if that friend was you because i know you're an individual and you don't have canned advice but like mm -hmm. how how would you address that how would you want somebody to address that like, with you if a friend were to approach me thinking like maybe that they had a problem if if or if uh, so if I have a family member that has a problem, what's the best mm -hmm. way to address that with them without making them feel embarrassed or guilty? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you do, maybe you need to, I don't know. You know, that moment on intervention where they're like, these are the 10 ways that you messed up my life or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how would, would you want a friend to just come up and sit next to you and go, dude, you've gone too far. Or would you want them to just grab your the lapels and go stop it? You know, what's the best way you know, to start that process? I think like 
it's hard for someone that hasn't experienced addiction. I don't think you really can understand what it's like to live in essentially like an altered reality. Like you are not, they're not experiencing the the world that you and I are right now. Like right. you're so surrounded by, you know, the chemical fluctuations in your brain because of substance and mm-hmm. that impacting your sleep. And, you know, there's just so much going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can really feed into that worthless feeling, right? If somebody mm-hmm. comes up and says, you're worthless, then you just go, thank you. That validates what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I like the way your mom did it. I think it's just kind of some side shots. Like, yeah, who, are, who I, are you? Who did you become? Just these little passing remarks that can stick in someone's brain because we give them time to think about it, you know? And I've I've had the... I'm fortunate where I've seen people in my life and in close people in my world's uh, families where they've gone through this recovery and worked it and, you know, they're unrecognizable from the people they were before. So, you know, I know AA is out there. I know it works. I didn't think I was an addict. Ah, yeah, I was just a heavy drinker and like use drugs and, you know, sure. But yeah, just, I don't know. I think what really, yeah, I don't know, man, it's hard to kind of, uh, quantify some of that but i think what worked was knowing that there was hope like people need to be ready you know they need to have it needs to get bad enough you know you need to be desperate and i think if you're trying to help someone the book talks about promotion or attraction versus promotion so if someone new comes to a meeting and I want to try to be a, a resource for them I'll go and speak to them and say hello but you know I'm not going to promote my recovery personally as like something that works I want to try to maybe behave in a way that attracts and brings people to me and they want my help but I don't want to go out there and promote myself like those are the same actions with wildly different intentions right be an example mm yeah yeah I like that all right is there any information is there any information you want to give out before we wrap up? Um, you know, if you do know someone that's suffering, you know, speak with them. Um, you're not, you know, the chances of you getting through on that first shot, you know, they're not, they're not that great. Um, but you know, that's going to sit there, man. Like, and sometimes like, sometimes you just plant a seed and walk away. Yeah. You know, uh, if you go to an A meeting, there's about a 70% chance you'll hear this hula hoop analogy. And it's, you know, we're all here. You've got a hula hoop. I've got a hula hoop and I'm spinning mine and you're spinning yours. And, you know, if you're having trouble, man, I might be able to guide you a little bit or maybe give you a hand for a quick second. But, you know, if I'm too focused on you, I'm going to drop my hula. So, you know, it's it's hard to have boundaries when you're trying to assist someone struggling with addiction because they're going to be manipulating you and trying to leverage that relationship. So, you know, sometimes it's about being there for people. Sometimes it might be about setting a boundary and cutting someone off and hoping that that brings them to a place of accepting help. But, you know, find, you know, they tell us to find someone whose recovery you like and ask them how they did it. So, you know, find someone in your community, find a friend, like there's a lot of people online that recovery posse hashtag is incredible. You know, I've met hundreds and hundreds of people, man. And there's people out there that care, like strangers will listen to you and care more than the people in your life that should. (laughs) Right. I mean, you burn the bridges. They're standing on the other side. They can't hear you, but new Mm -hmm. people can. So I like that recovery posse on Twitter, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. And, you know, um, again, not an expert, but like, if you uh, have a question or if there's something I can do to help, uh, let me know. You know, I'm, I'm here in my capacity as one crazy person. 
to another. <laughs> I love that. And where are you? Who are you on Twitter? We're going to put your handle in the description and everything. Sure. Um, I think my Twitter handle is Kesselwalk Photo. Um, I uh, got into photography around the holidays when I started getting sober because I was an insomniac and it was yeah. just a nice activity that kind of brought me back to life and, you know, it's been Perfect. a nice uh, gift to my sobriety. Patrick, it's been a real honor to have you on. I appreciate you being a dishonest. Hey, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and I hope we help someone today, you know? Me too. And you come back, promise? Oh yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Cool. All right. I appreciate that. I'm going to wrap up and say thank you for listening to Public Access America. You can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts and you can find Patrick by looking in the description portion of this podcast. We'll be back next Sunday with more episodes. Thank you. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, they will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. My poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Sunday live streams on YouTube. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Apple Podcasts. Stitcher Smart Radio Public. And Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. 
head to Hero.co to shop today.